Good morning. Happy New Year. How's everyone's year going so far? <laughs> Hopefully good at this point. <laughs> okay. Hey, well, I want to remind you guys here at the very beginning that we will be taking uh, communion later in the service after the message. So uh, if you haven't yet, we have elements there in the back. So feel free to swing by and grab some elements. That way we can all take communion together. As a church body, we're going to be collecting donations over the next couple weeks for Capital Area Pregnancy Center. So January 1st, today, through the 15th, uh, we're going to be collecting that in the pack and play out in front of the office. So some of the needs that they have mentioned are new pacifiers, teethers, diaper ointment, baby lotion, um, pack and play and crib sheets, new and used 9 through 12 month girl clothes, and 9 through 12 month sleepers. So like I said, there's a pack and play in front of the office. That, that's where we're going to be collecting all those donations. Just go ahead and toss them on in there, and we will make sure that they get to Capital Area Pregnancy Center. Our next Community 101 will be on January 15th, following the morning service. So if you're new, working towards membership, or just want to learn about who we are here at Community, this event is for you. And we will also be having a lunch afterward as well. Hey, if you've uh, purchased any of these nice-looking uh, poinsettias up here, this is just a reminder to go ahead and uh, grab them as you leave today. Um, any that are unclaimed will be donated, but right now is a good time to get them while they still look nice, okay? Uh, the new year is a perfect time to get connected, so if you're interested in getting more involved through serving here at Community uh, or being baptized or even looking into membership, reach out to Kaylin, uh, or fill out the connection card at any time, and we can get you more connected here at Community. Hey, I just want to welcome anyone that is new here. Uh, we have gift bags out on the counter in the lobby, uh, and in that is, a, first of all, a gift for you just for visiting, uh, but also there's just a little card in there that we ask that you fill out. That way we can get to know you and get to even get connected and maybe get to reach out and Become more connected. That's what it's for. Would you all stand with me as we open in a word of prayer this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning. I pray that you open our hearts. I pray that we're humbled by your word. God, I pray that as you speak through Brian that the challenges that we need to hear are accepted and that we take on those challenges. God, I pray that as we start a new year, as we reevaluate areas that we want to take on all the new, new goals for the year, I pray that they're set after you, God. I pray that we're your light in the world around us, that what we do is to our best to glorify you. Open our hearts as we worship, as we sing praises. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing with us this morning. Light of the world, you step down. Too tall. 
Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. to earth. 
Father, we thank you for this time that we could come here into your place, into your house, with your people. Lord, we just are so thankful for this season of time to remember the coming of your Son and what you have done for us. We pray that this would be ever before our minds. Lord, we ask that whatever we do today would be pleasing to you, that you would be glorified and honored. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. morning, everybody. Good morning and Merry Christmas. I know you might be saying, oh, wait a minute, it is, ah, the kids are dismissed for <laughs> children's church. Thank you. I know you might be saying, no, wait a minute, it is uh, not Christmas, it's New Year's. I know, but I mean Merry Christmas. Uh, let me explain. 
you know, last week, uh, you know, I was sitting there one evening in my living room and looking at my Christmas tree, looking at the lights and thinking, man, you know, I just put that thing up back a few days ago and in a few more days, I'm going to be tearing it down and throwing the tree away and putting the lights away and you know, you kind of start having that, that depressing post-Christmas thoughts. You guys probably all have those, you know. Uh, it's like, man, it goes so fast. Uh, the time just flies, and it seems like Christmas is over before you know it. You spend all the time buying gifts, and it takes a matter of a few seconds to exchange them. You buy all the food. You spend sometimes literally hours preparing it. And in like 15, 20 minutes of just ecstatic eating, it's, it's gone, you know? And uh, it just seems like Christmas goes by so quickly. So I'm sitting there thinking about this, and then I kind of caught myself. I thought, what is, what's wrong with you? It, that's really not how it's supposed to be. Christmas really doesn't go by so quickly. Yes, the day that we celebrate it, the day that we choose to celebrate the birthday of Jesus, that, that day flies. And all the preparation that leads to it, that, it, it flies by. But the reality is what Christ has done for us, what God did for us in the sending of his son, what was accomplished for us, doesn't. It never ends. The Bible tells us it's, it's eternal. And, and, you know, as I sat there kind of, uh, you know, thinking these thoughts, my mind went to a line from A Christmas Carol. Most of you guys are familiar with A Christmas Carol. You've, you know, seen the movie. You've seen a play. Uh, some of you maybe even have read the book. If, if you haven't, I would actually really recommend it. It's a great little read. Uh, it doesn't take long. It's, it's, it's a short little, short little story, but it's fantastic. And there's some lines in that story that I always love, and there's one line in there where, where uh, Scrooge, and if you guys don't know, you know, probably most of you know the story, but you know, it's about a, a miserly, miserable, horrible man named Ebenezer Scrooge. So clutching and so covetous that the name has become synonymous with greed. If someone is called a Scrooge, you know, it means that they're greedy and they're miserable, and it comes from this character. But the book is about redemption. That, that's what the story is about. It's about redemption. He begins the story... Uh, with an introduction, he says, I've endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise the ghostly idea. And then he goes on to tell his story. You know, the, the, the idea that's always been there. It's always been what the season is about. But we forget it. We forget it. We forget what it's really about. See, people were forgetting the season even back in Victorian England. It's not just new. And there's, there's a line that Scrooge says after his redemption, where he says, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. 
And as I was sitting there, I started thinking about what would that look like? What does that mean? What's it really mean to keep Christmas, to, keep, to honor it all year long? Like, let it be a part of our life all year, not just for one day or for one short season. And everything I had planned to preach today went right out the window. And all of a sudden, I went on a path of a new, of a new sermon. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about keeping Christmas all year long. What would that look like? We're going to talk a little bit about New Year's and resolutions. We're going to talk about Christmas and what it means, what it looks like to keep it, how we can keep it. Hopefully we'll have a little bit of fun along the way. We'll weigh into some pop culture debates and we'll, we'll, we'll have a little bit of fun uh, here today with this topic, okay? And see if we can get an idea of how to keep Christmas in our hearts and to keep it well all year long. So first, let's talk about New Year's. You, you ever think about this, that, you know, that, that New Year's is probably the most universal of all holidays? You know, not everybody in the world keeps Christmas. Yeah, because it, it comes from a Christian tradition, and there's, there's a lot of places in the world that are not Christian. Now, some of them still celebrate Christmas, but it's very much a commercialized version of Christmas. In some places, there's no celebration of Christmas at all. In fact, it would, it would be banned in many places. You know, most countries have some sort of a, uh, a day that they celebrate their independence, but not all. If they don't celebrate Christmas, they're sure not going to celebrate Easter. A lot of countries have no Thanksgiving. But you know, the one thing that almost everybody celebrates is, is New Year. They don't all keep the same New Year. Sometimes the, uh, the New Year's, depending on the calendar that they chose, choose to, to work by, is very different. But almost everybody celebrates New Year. And, and you know, I, I was wondering why that is, and... and you know, I came up with a couple ideas. One, it's the idea that we have more time. Now, to you, you young guys, that probably doesn't seem like a whole lot because right now you're thinking, I've got all the time in the world. Once you kind of start getting to my age and you start realizing you don't really have all the time that you thought you had, much closer to the grave than I am to my birth, let's put it that way. You know, that's just reality, folks. All of a sudden you start thinking about time more. And the idea of New Year, you know, having another year, even though you don't have any guarantee you're going to have that whole year, but, you know, starting another year, hey, that's a reason to celebrate. A another reason people, I think, like New Year is because there's th always that thought, it'll be better this year. Didn't you guys think that way at New Year's? Uh, you know, that, that optimism in us says, hey, you know, this year will be better. You know, it, it, it'll be better this year. Whatever went wrong in your life this year, whatever, you know, things that were happening that you didn't like, you think, man, maybe this year will be better. And maybe it will. I hope it is. But you know, I think the, the really big reason that people just seem to universally celebrate New Year's is because feels like you're getting a second chance. 
you know, whatever went on in, in the past year, whatever you did, whatever you tried and weren't able to accomplish, you know, whatever awful thing may be going on in your life, another year seems to give you another chance. Second chance. A chance to change. And isn't that why we do resolutions? You know, every year people, hey, I'm going to resolve to do this or do that. You know, because we want a second chance. We want a chance to improve, to change, a do-over. And that's a powerful thing. Now, is that a biblical idea? The idea of of resolving to to change. And and is the idea of a second chance a biblical idea? Yes, it is. It is absolutely a biblical idea. In fact, God is the God of second chances. Really, that's what Christmas is about, isn't it? Giving mankind a, a chance to be reconciled to God. A second chance? Uh, let me give you just a couple of uh, biblical examples of second chances. First, what about the thief on the cross? Let me just read to you from Luke chapter 23, verses 36 through 43. It says, The soldiers also came up and mocked him, They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what we what our uh, deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow, second chance. Right at the last moment of his life, a second chance. God celebrates second chances. I want us to think about the Apostle Paul for a second. The the Apostle Paul who persecuted the church, who, who held the garments of the people who stoned Stephen to death. But yet God gave him a second chance, didn't he? Let me read how Paul continued to see himself, how he viewed himself even later in his life I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. He says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach And this is what you believe. The Apostle Paul saw himself as the worst, the lowest of the apostles. He knew the sins that have been in his past. But you know, the cool thing about Paul is he never let that stop him. He recognized the grace of God and he said, because of that, I've worked harder than all the rest. 
And God used him to write the, the vast majority of the New Testament. Second chances. You know, one of the great stories, I think, in the Bible is, is the story of Peter. Peter's betrayal. Uh, we've talked about this before, but I just want to mention it again. You know, the fact that Peter could deny Christ three times and come back from that. Man, you talk about a second chance. Again, let's go to Luke. Read Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. And something that Jesus said to Peter during the Last Supper. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You guys catch that? I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. Fail, completely fail. He didn't say that you wouldn't make a mistake, that you wouldn't sin. In fact, he knows he's going to deny him. He says, when you turn back, Strengthen your brothers. He went on to tell him, you know, of course, Peter's reaction was always over the top. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Keep that in the back of your mind for a second. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you knew me. And of course, that is what happened. But he had told him, when you come back, strengthen your brothers. You'll be stronger, Peter, when you come back. When you have a second chance, you'll be stronger. We go over to John's gospel. Right at the end of the gospel of John, in chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, Jesus has this interaction with Peter. When they had finished eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? In other words, am I number one in your life? Do you love me more than anyone else? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. I suppose he was hurt. He was remembering his own betrayal. Probably wondering, did I really get a second chance? Jesus, do you really believe in me? Jesus said to him, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Notice what he says next. He said to him, follow me. See, the night of the betrayal, 
the night of Jesus' arrest, Peter's like, I'll follow you right to the grave. Lord, I'll die with you. He failed, didn't he? Failed miserably. Failed three times. But he got a second chance. Now Jesus, right before he goes back to heaven, is saying to him, Peter, you will follow me to death. You're going to get your wish, Peter. This is how you're going to die. Crucified, like me. Follow me, Peter. In the meantime, feed my sheep. Take care of mine. What a tremendous second chance. What a moment of redemption. See, second chances are what God is all about. God loves second chances. That's why he sent his son. You know, resolutions are great. As long as we keep them. The reason we make fun of them is because we know most of the time we don't keep them. But they're great, and they can be enormously important. Please do not misunderstand me. I'm not trying to diminish the changes that you may need in your life. People resolve some pretty important things sometimes at New Year's. I'm going to get in better shape. I'm going to drink less. I'm going to, you know, stop smoking going to get a new job, going to, you know, change the relationships in my life, get out of, of the, the, the situations that are tearing me apart. Sometimes people make life-changing decisions when they make resolutions. I, again, as I was thinking about this, and this is just kind of the way my mind thinks, I, I love, you guys know I love poetry, most of you guys have heard me talk about that before. I also love really well-written songs because basically they're the same thing. And there's a, a song by, uh, by a guy named Daryl Scott. Some of you might have heard this. It's called uh, You'll Never Leave Harlan Alive. There's a line right at the beginning of that that I just love. He's semi-autobiographical. He's talking about his, his ancestors in the, the, the bleak uh, background of, of the, the mi coal mines of Harlan, Kentucky. In one line, he says, my granddad's dad walked down Ketterin's Mountain, and he asked Tilly Helton to be his bride. He said, won't you walk with me out of the mouth of this holler? Or we'll never leave Harlan alive. See, sometimes the resolutions you make can be life and death. So I'm not knocking resolutions. But you know, there's another truth, and that's that sometimes... We blame everything else but the right thing. Sometimes the real problem is inside. It, it, it's here. We blame everything else except taking that look at ourselves and saying, how can I change? Another great songwriter, the late, great Harry Chapin, he wrote this line. Sometimes I get this crazy dream that I just took off in my car. But you can travel on 10,000 miles and still stay where you are. A lot of power in that line. 
Sometimes you can make all the outward changes in the world and they won't change what's going on in here. That's the change that's really important. Look, if you have to make those other changes, by all means, make them. Lower your blood pressure. You know, stop smoking. Do the things that will change your life, that will save your life. Do it. But, you know, nothing says you can't make two resolutions. And also resolve to change your heart if that's where the problem is. And what better resolution than keeping Christmas in our hearts, keeping it well all year long? Maybe that should be our resolution all the time. All right, let's take a little look at Christmas. If that's the case, then what does Christmas mean? What's it all about? You have to define a thing if you're going to keep it. If you're going to honor it, you have to understand it. All right, here's where we weigh in a little bit on pop culture. How many of you have heard this debate? Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Uh-huh. I can tell by the laughter most of you have heard that debate. Look, I, I, you know, whatever your choice, you know, that's up to you. But let me just kind of weigh in with my opinion on this. I say no. And I say no because of this, because it does not, it's not really about Christmas. And for a thing to be a Christmas movie or be about Christmas, it has to meet certain criteria of what Christmas is, doesn't it? It's not just that it happens at Christmas time. You know, robberies and muggings and killings take place at Christmas time, and they're not about Christmas. You know? Slasher films have somebody getting kissed in the backseat of a car right before they're ripped to pieces. We don't call them romances. You know, it's silly. So how do we define what Christmas is? Well, Glenn has really been doing that for us for about the last month, hasn't he? Yeah, that's largely what his sermons were about, that sermon series. He talked, let, let me just mention some of the themes that he talked about. Joy, peace, hope, light, truth, love, salvation. Those are the things that Christmas is about. Some of the things. I mean, man, you can go on and on and on. And we'll actually look at a couple more here in a minute. But I just want you to think about this. God has brought his joy into the world and given us the chance at joy because he sent his son to die for our sins. God has brought a chance at peace to the world because he made it possible for us to be at peace with him through the death of his son. And if peace reigns in our hearts between us and God, should not peace reign in our hearts between us and others? Hope. You know, I've heard this saying that hope is where you find it. And at its barest level, that is true. People hope in this, so many things. But the problem is, a lot of that is not real hope. The only real hope for mankind's problems, for mankind's condition, is found in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus came for. 
light, and truth. The Bible always kind of combines that, those two things, that concept together. Light chases away the darkness. It illuminates, shows what is real, chases away fear. Because you can see what is there. Love. God so loved the world that he gave. We'll come back to that in a second. Salvation. The things that define Christmas, that, that make Christmas what it is. Let me, re, let me just look at a few more here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. You might say, well, that's not about Christmas. It's not. It's about what Christ came to do, though. See, Christmas is about what Christ came to accomplish. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. There's three more things Christmas is about. Grace, mercy, kindness. Those are things Christmas is about. You pick out, he expressed that in the sending of Jesus Christ. Because of his great love, he was merciful. Because of his great love, he was gracious. And this is all, he expressed all this in his kindness to us. And that's the meaning of the baby in the manger. He didn't stay a baby. By the way, I hate that phrase. Some people, every time you talk to them about Jesus, it's, uh, oh yeah, I, I, I love baby Jesus. But do you love adult Jesus? You know, to some people, that's all it is. It's a picture of a baby in a manger, and it'll stay that way, and they never think about it, anything beyond that. Jesus didn't stay a baby. He became a man, and he died for our sins. That's why he came he came to die. Mercy and kindness and grace. Let's look at another one. Ephesians 1.7. Let's just stay in Ephesians. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Redemption and forgiveness. You know, that whole concept of redemption, it comes from how slavery worked in the ancient world. Many people w would sell themselves into slavery or be sold uh, into slavery even by a parent. Not because oftentimes they didn't care about them, because they didn't have the money to care for them. They were in debt or something was going on in their life, and so someone would sell themselves into slavery in order to pay off their debt. But you know, you could get out of it by being redeemed. 
Someone could pay the price for you to get you out of slavery. And that's where that imagery comes from. It's the idea of being bought out of the slave market. That God in Jesus Christ paid our price and he bought, bought us out of the slave market of sin and made us children of God. What a remarkable concept redemption is. It's a second chance. It's to be removed from the slavery we have to our sin and be given a second chance to live for God and to be his child. It's all about second chances. Forgiveness, along with that comes that idea of forgiveness. That, that debt that was paid was forgiven because of Christ's love for us and his sacrifice. Go over at Philippians, famous passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. We'll see another one, actually a couple more. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's a couple other things that Christmas is about. It's about humility. It's about sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed himself. He, he humbled himself. He, he lowered himself. He literally bent down to us where we were at and entered our world where we were at and sacrificed himself for us. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about all of these, and we could talk about even more. These are the things that define Christmas. Why Die Hard's not a Christmas movie. It doesn't celebrate those things. It's a great movie. It's a great action film. It's not a Christmas movie. But if we are going to celebrate Christmas in our lives, if we're going to honor it, if we're going to keep it well, these are the things that have to be a part of our lives. That's how you keep it. That's how you honor it. As you're sitting there, ask yourself the question, are those things a part of you? One more I want to look at, and that'll segue us in to the last point. Turn back to the Gospel of John. John 1, we find these words. And I think it's interesting that John does not begin his gospel with a birth narrative. Have you guys ever noticed that? John doesn't begin with a birth narrative. But in a way, he does. Because he talks about kind of the meaning of it all. 
what it's really about, what Christ came to do. He begins by this. We'll look at the first five verses, and then we're going to jump up to verse 14. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That, that Greek word there for word is logos. And it basically doesn't just mean word. It, it means a word or a concept or an idea, uh, it, it, you know, an expression. It often takes form, especially in the Old Testament, in action. You know, God, uh, who God is being demonstrated. Jesus was, Jesus, the, the eternal son, before he was ever even called Jesus, the eternal son of God is, is the expression of God. He is God, and he expresses God. He's called the word, he's called the logos, the, the, the expression, the idea. We'll get more into that in a second here. He was in the beginning. Through him, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump up to verse 14. The Word became flesh. Christ became a human being. The eternal Son of God became a baby named Jesus. And from now on will be eternally the, the God-man. Eternally, Jesus the Christ. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Here's the one I want to pick up on. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is, is, close, is in close, closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Many of you in your translations have, he has declared him. We've talked about this before, but it's important. It's an important concept to get. Jesus came to be God's declaration of himself. You know, we've all heard the, the term declaration from the Declaration of Independence. You know what a declaration is? It's a definitive statement. You know, when the Declaration of Independence was made, that, our 13 colonies basically said to England, we are declaring ourselves to be independent of you. This is our definitive statement. It meant war. They knew it meant war. It was a definitive statement. Jesus is God's definitive statement of who he is. Because he is God himself. And he has always been God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. They've always been there together. He is the expression of who God is. And he came to declare God to the world. Because no one could see 
God because he's a spirit. Mankind's always wondered, what does God look like? That's a whole other sermon we don't have time to get into today. But from the time that Adam and Eve sinned, back at a time where God regularly, the Bible said, it was his habit to walk with them in the garden in the cool of the evening. And that fellowship was broken, and mankind started picking all kinds of other pictures of what God looked like creeping things and rocks and, and, and a th- you know, part of the creation and started worshiping them, saying, is this what God looks like? And in Jesus Christ, God sent his definitive statement of who he is. This is who I am. This is what I look like. And all those characteristics that were displayed in the coming of his son and in his life and in his death, those are what God looks like. There's another really interesting thing. The Bible says we were created to be the image of God. We were created to look like him. Not physically, because God's not physical. But we were created to reflect his image. That means we're supposed to live out those characteristics. So there's really the answer. That gets us into our last point. What's it look like to live out Christmas all year long? It looks like living like Jesus. That's what it looks like. Honoring the things that Christmas really stands for, the things that God came to do in the sending of his son. Living them out in our lives every day, all day long, all year long, all life long. That's what Christmas should really mean to us. Think about it. Are you joyous? Is that what people would say about you? Just be honest with yourself. I can't answer these questions for you. I can only answer them for me. Some of these things I can say yes, and some I have to say no. That's just the honest truth. Are you really joyous because of what Christ has done for you? Is that how anyone would characterize you? What about peace? Are you at peace? Peace in your own heart? Or are you at peace with others? Is that how you'd be characterized? Are you at peace with God? See, I can't answer that question either. Only you can. Have you really found God's peace? What about hope? Are you hopeful? The people look at you and go, man, I don't know what there is about that person, but they seem to always be hopeful. Is that what you are? What about truth? Do you care about truth? Do you care about giving people truth? Do you care about what is true? We should. What about love? Do people characterize you as loving? Is that the first thing that comes to people's mind when they think about you? That's a loving person. There's something so different about them. 
How about humility? It's humbleness, the way people think of you. Such a humble woman or man. What about forgiving? Are you forgiving or do you hold a grudge? Is that how people think of you? What a forgiving person. What about sacrifice? Are you always sacrificing for others? Is that who you are? See, I have to ask myself the same questions. But I can only answer those for myself. Is that what you look like? Is that you? You're going to honor Christmas in your heart and keep it well all year long. That's what we need to look like. You know, and all the other ones, merciful and gracious and kind. I mean, is that what we are? Is that how people see us? Is that how God sees us? Is that how we know ourselves to be deep in our heart? Or do we know that there's changes that need to be made? Well, if there's changes that need to be made, and I think probably all of us, if we're going to be honest, can look at our lives and say, yeah, I'm not so great on some of those. Maybe I need to make some changes. Well, now's the time to make the resolution. Because remember, God is all about second chances. Peter, Paul, to get second chances. It could be used by God to literally turn the world on its end. And you can get one too. You can get one too. The thief in the cross could get one right before the moments of his death. You could get a second chance too. How do we do it? Well, only with God's help. Only with God's help. You can't pick yourself up by your bootstraps. There's no real reality in kind of like John Wayne, Clint Eastwood Christianity. I'm going to pick myself up and dust myself off and I'm going to make it happen. No, you will not. You have no power to do that. All the transforming power comes in God. That's where it, it, it all lies in him. That doesn't mean you don't play a part, and we'll get to that in a second. But the first thing you have to understand is the power to do this lies in the hands of God. The good news is he wants to change you. The Bible's full of that from beginning to end. It's a story of redemption. That's what it's all about. It's his desire to change you, to make you what he wants you to be. And let's just read a little bit from John. Look at verses uh, 12 and 13 of chapter 1. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. 
over in John chapter 3, one of the most memorized, probably the most memorized verse in Scripture, John 3, 16. But I want to begin at 14 and read to 19. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, lifted up on the cross. That's the picture. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. See, God wants to change people. He wants to save people. If you are here today and you've never made that decision to accept Jesus into your heart, if you've never it, it, trusted him in faith, because that's what that word believe really means. It's, it's the idea of faith. It's the idea of, of trust. Really putting the, the trust of your life and your eternity into God. Saying, God, I, I believe in you. I trust you with this. I trust you with my salvation, with my eternity. If you've never done that, what a better way to start a new year. You know, the reality of a new year is we don't know how much of it we've got. But you know you got the right now. If you've never made that decision, please make it today. God wants to change you. He gave his only son. He shed his blood to change you. But for those of us who already know Christ, well, in a way, it's the same thing. It has to start with God. Ask him to change you. If you know there's changes that need to be made in your heart, then ask God to change you. Give him your life. Tell him, Lord, I'm giving it to you. Let me read a couple other verses here to you. I want you to see that God wants this to happen and also gives the ability for this to happen. This is God's plan, if you will, for each and every one of us that is a believer in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I, see, I always find that one of the coolest verses in the Bible. I really do. God has a, a, a predetermined plan for every person who's a believer. Everyone he foreknew, he says, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He is in the process of making each and every believer in Jesus Christ into the image of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he doesn't want Jesus to be his only child. 
Jesus is the one and only true son of God, but God wanted a big family, and he says, I'm conforming you to the image of my son so that he would have many brothers and sisters. That's us. God's desire is to change you. God's determination is to change you. He wants it to happen. He's determined that it will happen. So what's our part in this? What can we do? We can't change ourselves. But if we understand that this is what God wants, then it's a matter of submitting to what God wants, isn't it? It's a matter of resolving. Making a resolution. I will give myself to God. That's what he wants. Later on in Romans, in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Make a sacrifice of yourself. God, here I am. I know you've saved me. But I've always held back some of myself from you, God. And I know you want it all. So here it is, God. I resolve to live for you every day of my life. I resolve to, to honor Christmas in my heart. To keep it well every day of my life. read a few others, but I want to close here this morning. I want to read you a few lines from A Christmas Carol. Beautiful picture of what redemption just maybe could look like in the life of a person. This is Scrooge after he wakes up from his night of visitation of these ghosts he realizes he's still alive and he has another chance. His bed was his own. The room was his own. Best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own to make amends in. I will live in the past, the present, and the future, Scrooge repeated as he scrambled out of his bed. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. Oh, Jacob Marley, heaven and the Christmas time be praised for this. I say it on my knees, old Jacob on my knees. Right at the end of the story, this is said about Scrooge. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any good old city, town, or borough, in the good old world. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. 
May that be truly said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for what you've done for us in the cross because Christmas looks to the cross. That's what you came to do. You came to die. Father, in the coming months, we will celebrate that when we celebrate Easter, but I pray, Father, that we would make a resolution in our hearts that we would resolve to celebrate both Christmas and Easter all day, every day, all of our life, and to keep it well. Father, whatever the needs are in the life of each and every person here, whatever place they are in their own self-analyzation, Father, I know we all have things that need to be worked on. I pray that your Spirit would give us the strength work on those things, to recognize those things, to admit that there's a problem, and to change it. Father, if there's anyone here today who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and I pray that the Spirit of God would touch their heart today, and that they would see the need they have for Jesus Christ, because it all starts there. Thank you, Father, for everything that you've done. In Jesus' name. You guys to all take your communion elements. We're going to celebrate communion today. I think by now most of you guys know how to to use these. They're a little confusing at times, but if you don't, uh, there's two little containers or two little uh, uh, flaps there. You can lift the first flap and get out the the uh, bread or the really more of a cracker, wafer, and then you can lift the second one, and you get the juice. You know, on the night of his arrest, Jesus celebrated communion, what we call communion, the Last Supper. It was the Passover meal, the Jewish Passover meal. He celebrated it with his disciples. And he knew later on that evening he would be arrested. He knew he was going to his death. And that's what he had come to do. It's the meaning of why he had come and was born and laid in a manger in the first place. It was the climax of his ministry. His sacrificial death and his resurrection would climax everything he came to accomplish. And that night it tells us in Luke that he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Picturing the broken body that he would experience in his torture and ultimately in his death. Let's take the wafer together and eat it in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us and how he was broken for us.
goes on to say, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Looking toward the blood that he would spill, that was shed for the redemption of our sins. Let's take the cup together, drink it in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Holy Father, we are so thankful to you for everything that you've done. Thank you for the sending of Jesus Christ to be a sacrifice for our sins. Father, you gave so much. Jesus gave so much. It is our reasonable act of service, our true act of worship, the Bible says, to now give ourselves to you. I pray that that's what we would do this day, that we would give ourselves to you, that we would resolve in our hearts to make a sacrifice of our life, to live out Christmas and live it out well every day of our life as a sacrifice to you. Help us, Father. We praise you and thank you for a new year. Lord, may we glorify you better each and every day of this year. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us, please?
song to close in on this day remember that throughout the week again resolve in your heart that you're going to live Christmas well all the days of your life you guys are dismissed thank you be careful <laughs>